Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, we are going to talk about climate adaptation. And this is a really interesting topic. And we're going to talk to a disruptive company founder who is making changes in the way we build and live and carry out um, design. So it is my pleasure to introduce you to Dina Prestos, who is the founder and CEO of Indigo River. Dina, welcome to the program. Allison, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I always like to say, tell our guests what wonderful things you deliver to the world. Sure. So Indigo River is a women-owned transdisciplinary design firm. We focused on progressive waterfront architecture, uh, resiliency, and climate adaptation. So I, I always tell our listeners, if you're near a computer, head over to indigoriver.com, take a look at the website so that you can follow along with the conversation and learn more. So I was so intrigued when um, you came to my attention on what you're doing, because we talk so much about waterfront and what's happening on waterfront and people should stay away from waterfront properties and, and buildings. But I know you have a very different take that you look at climate ad- adaptation as an opportunity and a growth point for us and how we approach the world. So tell us a little bit more about why you founded this company and why you're so passionate about this topic. Sure. So I, th- I think kind of generically in the first couple of projects I worked on for other other employers happened to be waterfront projects. And very quickly I had I was able to identify themes that when you're on a waterfront site, uh, you don't always get exposed to for, you know, typical upland construction or upland design. And my my educational background is in architecture and in civil engineering. And I think I look back at my classmates, I'm, I'm one of the only ones that's a licensed architect, but in general, not working on buildings per se. I work on waterfront infrastructure. And, and one of the reasons for that is the, this big picture view of what's going on with the climate and what's going on with regulation and that we have codes that are frankly outdated. And what we try and do in our firm is not necessarily designed to a code that's, you know, maybe written 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's already out of date in the weather patterns that we're seeing. We see more and more extreme weather patterns and incidents and events occurring. And so rather than designing for, you know, what happened last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we're thinking, well, we see these extremes advancing in their frequency and we want to design for them. And so we design a little bit more ambitious and above and beyond the code. And those conversations with owners are about risk and risk tolerance. And so we do try and design uh, the waterfront inherently is one of our most vulnerable zones, uh, certainly subject to sea level rise as well as floods and inundation. Um, so that's just something that we focus on and our the types of projects that we work on range from certainly marinas and ports and kind of maritime infrastructure, but also waterfront parks and ways to enable recreational access and piers um, to, to other uses that are not the typical of, you know, when you go to study architecture, what you're 
what you're working on, but I have a, a passion and affinity for being one with nature. And so it, it was very natural for me to kind of identify this opportunity to work along the waterfront. And I will say going to any waterfront site is always lovely and beautiful and sometimes even more cold than other places, <laughs> but, but it's a nice place to work, to be on the water. And certainly we have offices as well, but um, it, it's an area that kind of aligns a, a passion of mine, which is nature along with design and certainly advances in technology. Well, I have a fascination of of speaking to if, if for my listeners or, or people who are maybe listening for the first time, I have built up quite a string of speaking to people in construction in different ways to approach building urban housing and and so forth. So I love talking to people who are a futurist in any industry, mm-hmm. which you certainly are in this space. I, I have to laugh because I know when we were chatting before we pressed record, you were talking about, yes, I tell my clients, I, we're going to design for the worst. <laughs> so I, I find that very interesting. I want to take a step back because you just have such a huge list of credentials and experience and different things that that you are applying to what you do. It seems like you really believe in, you know, never stop learning, never stop advancing. Absolutely. I, I think the the day that my curiosity dries up is the day that I'm dead because there's so much to to learn out there. And that's kind of a, a theme within the company as well is advancing education, continuing education, learning and exploring other arenas that maybe aren't even within our industry, but seeing what lessons can be learned and applied to our our work. Um, so certainly learning and advancing continuing education um, is paramount within the company. Well, let's talk about the company. If we go to the website, you um, talk about your your vision about being faced with inconvenient truths, climate change, hyper-urbanization, rising economy, and, and social challenges. And you talk about transdisciplinary design, which is a mouthful for those of us that aren't fully in this space. So can you walk us through a practical example of something that you've executed for a client Sure. And I'll, I'll speak kind of the origin of being transdisciplinary in nature. And that comes even from my education. And, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about how our team is formed and what specialties we have within the team. But I studied architecture undergrad and I finished and I loved it, but I felt like something was missing a little bit. And I felt like I needed a little bit more technical of an understanding. And so I got a master's mm-hmm. in civil engineering. So right there, I'm wearing two different caps of a design architect and a design engineer. And even when I finished engineering, I, I you'll see this is a habit of mine. Of I, I find in my work and on myself, any vulnerability and kind of dive into it. And whatever the the weaknesses or the area for improvement, I, I focus on improving. And that that's true of me and true of my work as well, looking for the most vulnerable conditions of waterfront sites and looking to strengthen and make more resilient. But when I when I did finish my master's program in civil engineering, I wanted a more practical understanding. And so I went and I worked for a contractor in the field for the first six mm-hmm. years of my career. And so that really set me up to be able to wear different hats. So I wasn't thinking only through the lens of how an architect only trained as an architect, only ever worked in an architecture firm. I, I started thinking as the contractor who was building it or the design engineer. I, I ended up next working for a design engineering firm and then an architecture firm. So that gave me empathy to understand what other professionals in the room and what other stakeholders 
shareholders were thinking. And the way that we've set up the company, many of the individuals, we have 16 people, many of our individuals, um, there's no, you know, cookie cutter blueprint for having the, the right background. Our team has varying backgrounds. And the reason that that's important is because there are so many forces that come into play working on the waterfront. And so we have certainly traditionally trained architects. We have naval architects who are trained to design vessels and floating structures. And that's an interface that we look at a lot is that connection between fixed and floating structures. Uh, we have geotechnical engineers that look at soil composition. We have environmental planners. We have um what are some other ones? Marine engineers, coastal engineers. So truly transdisciplinary. And many of the individuals don't have a, a typical background, even in their field, that they've also bounced between construction and design. And that empathy and that understanding that we bring now to the design world really helps us in the relationships that we've formed in our background to be mm -hmm. able to pick up the phone and call a contractor and say, hey, I've never seen this before. I don't know how I would approach it. How would you approach it? And have a conversation before it's even a design uh, really helps and and benefits the client and benefits the you know the end use and application of the site. Well, give us an example of something that we could maybe go go see or a project that you're executing someplace as as much as you can disclose. Sure. So uh, one of our very first projects, um, phenomenal project and kind of marquee in in, in its own right, um, is one fifteen Brooklyn Marina, which is in Brooklyn Bridge Park, New York City. Uh, and the the wave climate in the marina before we worked on it was harsh. Um, and so any you know vessel owners that wanted to keep their boat there had observed it being a harsh wave climate. And so we got involved in this one on the owner's rep side for the construction, but had previously under different, when we worked for an employer, had been involved in the design as well. So we knew the project inside and out, and we knew the mm -hmm. client because we had a relationship. And so we managed the construction, and the construction was particularly challenging because it's a New York Harbor. Uh, right across from downtown Manhattan, there's, you know, heliport landing, and there's a tunnel right under the site. And so when we looked to mitigate the harsh wave climate, one of the things we did was look to install a wave attenuator. And the wave attenuator that we installed had to be longer and wider than anything that was ever built before. And it's a floating wave attenuator. It's not a fixed wave screen. Um, and part of the reason that we had it floating and made them longer was because we had to span the tunnels that were underneath the marina. So there's there's a lot at play and there's a lot of regulation. And any I think if you look across the world that who regulates and what agencies have jurisdiction over any site, as a typology, the waterfront is the most heavily regulated zone because mm -hmm. it's environmental conservation, it's the Army Corps of Engineers, it's navigation, it's there's so many different factors that come into play. So it's not only the technical of what does the engineering look like, it's also the practical of, well, how do you build in this, you know, you're building from a floating structure and and how do you build over a tunnel and and all of these, you're 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 monitoring the vibrations in the tunnel when you're driving the piles. And so there, there's a lot that comes into play. And we have, like I said, we have a naval architect, we have construction professionals, we have regulatory professionals. So having that transdisciplinary experience to be able to navigate the first of its kind floating a wave attenuator in New York City uh, was was a really great project to kind of kick off the team and, and in the spirit of, of who we are. It almost sounds too complex. It really, <laughs> it really does. Hey, I want to go back to something that you you shared when you said you intentionally went and worked for different places to get different aspects of experience, was it always your end game to found your own company and do it your own way? Or when did that become part of the equation for you? 
It was not. And it became part of the equation after one too many experiences where I was hitting a glass ceiling and it had nothing to do with my performance or my abilities, but it had to do with, if you want to call it a pecking order or being in male dominated industries where I had expressed my aspirations to be at a more senior level. And I was met with less than encouraging responses. And also just if you know about the architecture, engineering and construction industry, uh, some of the more antiquated ideals that have ruled the industry now kind of phasing out, but they're, they don't make for the best work culture. And so I had several experiences that I despised and I was looking for something where I could be a more balanced individual, do the kind of work that I wanted to do, work with people in a respectful way. And I couldn't find what I was looking for. And so I, I created it. Hey, we love founders that have that <laughs> philosophy. I, I know in your model, um, that you're self-funded and that you said you had the the privilege of opening on a retainer model so that mm-hmm. you could reduce some of that risks. You mentioned that you're now at 16 people, but I also know that you are working not only across the U.S., but you've mentioned projects in other places of the world. What's the vision? Where, where do you plan on taking Indigo River for the you know, looking two or three, five years down the road. So I don't want to self-limit in any way, but I I will say one of the things that attracted me to the waterfront was working with different natural forces and different gravities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I am very excited and I'm on a, I'm on a couple different committees, industry committees, where we are looking at what the plans are for space, not only what the vessels are that are going there, but how dwellings, how city planning, how, how we will, set ourselves up for success on other planets as well. And so that would be my my aspiration. And I don't think it's that far off. Um, I want to be sure, I, listeners, I, you heard her say <laughs> other planets as well. I just yes. want to be sure you all heard that. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing in my backyard. I want to go, not necessarily that I'll go, but I, I want to be thinking for the future of mankind and that it, it may not, I, unfortunately, there certainly is hope for our planet, but there may also be hope for life on other planets. And so how we can plan for that. Hey, Dina, this is what we love at Disruptive CEO Nation. You know, there are no limits on yeah. on the thinking and, and where we can go. And and those are the people that are going to create the change and and create the future. And I'm just I'm so grateful that you've taken time. And also when you read your bi- biography, you know, you are talking about humankind and humankind's ability to design, build and, and, and create infrastructure. And I think we can all hear that you're talking about infrastructure that we can't even fully know what we need in the future um it we all watch unfortunately too many stories about disasters happening in the world from typhoons and cyclones and and from hurricanes and other forces and it is always curious that there's always that that one house or that one building or that one thing that has uh you know beat the odds and and stood tall and that is, I can see what you're going for. What other trends are you watching in this space? Any other predictors or things that you're looking towards? So the, the field of architecture, I think, is is interesting and unique in that the tools that we're using, as well as the materials that we're using, are shifting out from under us quicker than we can keep up. So the, the digital, the technology, the tools that we're using for you know what used to be hand 
drafting and drawing. Um, and, and now, you know, it's digital, but now we don't even need to hand draft or, or even draft on CAD. There's AI helping and coming into the picture. Um, and then there's also the materiality of, of, you know, 3D printing and labor is changing. And so there's, there's so many different directions that architecture can go. And historically, it hasn't been the quickest profession to adapt, but we're kind of, we're on the cusp where we've got to catch up or, as a profession, there's a risk that, well, what if we become obsolete because we're not catching up or we're getting caught in the weeds? Um, and so the the profession that is charged with protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the public, mm-hmm. not necessarily just, you know, designing pretty pictures, but really looking at the benefit for the public of what we are designing and building. Uh, I, I think there's tremendous potential to harness the digitization and globalization, um, certainly with with the introduction of renewable energies to, to look at our city planning and how we how we lay out our our future is inspiring and, and exciting for me. Let's switch and talk about your your leadership style. You're such a, a detailed and ambition ambitious person. But tell us a little bit about your leadership skills and your style or values. Sure. So I certainly try to lead by example and always have. Uh, I growing up played soccer. I played soccer in college. I was a three-year captain of my team for a Division One athletics program. Um, and, and I think a lot can be harnessed from teamwork in, in the sports and athletics arena. Um, and that's something that I've carried over into the professional setting. And that's, you know, the daily habits that, some to greater than their individual parts. Uh, and so that's that's one part of it. But the other part of it is you, you mentioned being detail oriented, and I certainly am. But one of the things I enjoy and appreciate and I think grow most from is thinking at different scales and in different dimensions. So trying not to self-limit my first reaction, um, but to challenge myself to think, all right, that applies at one scale. What if we change the scale? How does that change the scenario, um, both in terms of design, but also in terms of the intangible of management of people um, to think about scalability in, in every decision early on and upfront. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly with dimensions and with with forces and with vulnerabilities, like I said, I focus in on vulnerabilities very early on to kind of mitigate whatever the risk is that the, the strengths and the, the areas where we all excel will certainly lead us, but the areas where we have shortcomings will limit us. Um, so really focusing in on those shortcomings and areas for improvement and focusing on harnessing them and, and making them into a strength. No, I really, I really appreciate that. And I like the thought of thinking about scalability in, in every decision. And even in how you, you guide and nurture people, I've always felt that people deserve to be grown, even if they don't know that they need to grow, that as leaders, that's our, our role and our, our job. So scalability of business, but scalability of, of people and yeah, focusing on the vulnerabilities in our, our businesses, you know, we fall to the level of our systems and we fall to our greatest uh, weaknesses and risks if we don't keep our eye on them or, or shore them up. Hey, what do you do for fun and to bring joy to your life? So I, I have two dogs who I love very dearly. We go out on the river. I live on the Hudson River, so I'll take them paddle boarding with me sometimes. I did during the pandemic get very into yoga. I had a shoulder injury and there wasn't much that I could do other than try and improve it kind of on my own. And so I did get into yoga. I love to travel. I think learning while we travel is uh, one of the richest experiences that we can have and kind of puts things back in perspective when we get home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I like to ask. I like to ask. We've had all these great things, great business story of how you've grown, the expertise, what kind of things you do for your clients. Give us an example of something that maybe did not go well. I like to call it naked naked truths, naked lessons, you know, something that you're like, eh, that that didn't go as planned, but we're always better for it. I'm trying to think of a time when I fell on my face. Let me think. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty to choose from. Um, so early in the pandemic, we shut down New York City, I think, closed on March, around the middle of March, March 15th, everyone was required to go remote. We went remote a little bit before that, but we had a project that was an opportunity. Um, and, and I don't, I wouldn't say that it's it's turned out poorly now, but we took a risk. Uh, we didn't know we have a pretty healthy split between, or at the time we had a pretty healthy split between public and private work. And we had a private mm-hmm. opportunity that the work was there. We wanted to keep our people busy, but there was a question on payment. And so that was something that we still, to this day, three years later, are working hard to collect. And that's just something that it was a risk in the moment that we we agreed uh, partners and we agreed to go after it and it's, it hasn't fully resolved yet, but it was, it was a learning experience. <laughs> hey, thank you for that one. I I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, what looks optimistic or you put your best fit forward and it, it doesn't quite pan out. So, so thank you for your willingness to share that. Yep. You offer a lot of information and wisdom for others. So if people want to connect to you, where should they go and what should they do? So I'm certainly available and responsive on LinkedIn as well as on Instagram. So I'm just, I'm under my name, Dina Prastos or through the company Indigo River. Um, I'm available and I, I love to hear when people listen and reach out. Hey, Dina, we really appreciate the wonderful things that that you are doing to help people and businesses be prepared for the future. And I love your optimism around um, climate change, climate justice, that I love that you said it's an opportunity for a new path forward and a new way of doing things. So thank you again for being our guest today. Allison, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. And to our listeners, hey, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. And if you know of another great CEO founder that we should be speaking to like Dina, please write to me at connect at allisonksummers.com. Thank you. Bye, everyone. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.